It's another episode of the Info to Grow podcast. I'm your host, Alex Lovedall, and as always, thank you so much for listening. Today's episode might be my favorite one that we've recorded to date, and that's because Rob Torrey, who is a golf course superintendent at Orange Tree Golf Club uh, down in Orlando, Florida, joined us as a guest. So Dr. Gordon Kaufman, our turf expert, and I sat down or chatted with, uh, with Rob about his nutrition practices and just what it's like to be a superintendent in general. So let's get into it. Here's our interview with Rob Torrey. All right, we now welcome on a couple of very special guests. One is Dr. Gordon Kaufman, who has joined us before. Uh, so Gordon, thanks for joining us again. How are you doing? Oh, Alex, it's great to be here. Doing real well, thanks. Awesome, and then a very special guest. It is our first time having somebody outside of the Brant organization join us, um, and we're super excited to hear from somebody who's involved in golf courses. It is Rob Torrey. He is the golf course superintendent at Orange Tree Golf Club in Orlando, Florida. Rob, thank you so much for joining us today. Glad to be here, Alex. Good morning. So, you know, with, with these podcasts, I've been doing a couple with Gordon and, and just kind of talking back and forth about our products and, and how they get used. Uh, so we're super excited to hear from somebody who has actually used products and is involved uh, with, with keeping a golf course looking good. So how long have you been working in golf course uh, turf management? Well, I've, I've spent uh, 26 years in total uh, in the golf course industry, and then uh, 25 of that being here at Orange Tree. Um, oh, wow. Came on as an assistant superintendent and then uh, was named head golf course superintendent back in 2003. So, so uh, after one year, they were just like, this is, this is our guy. Yeah, the club was going in a different direction. They asked me if I'd step into the role, and uh, without hesitation, I did. And lo and behold, here we are, uh, well, 18 years later as a superintendent, but uh, entering my 25th year of employment here at the club. So uh, it's a pretty special place. Um, it was a great opportunity, and uh, I, I wouldn't have done it differently, to be honest. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a, that's a long time to, to, to be at one place. Um, it's so a rarity. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I bet you feel like you just know the course, uh, like the back of your hand almost. You know, you think so, but you're always learning. You know, yeah. that's parts about this industry. Um, how many how many holes are on on Orange Street? It's an 18 hole uh, private facility. It's a family owned and operated private facility, which uh, is unique in its own right. Um, yeah. You know, and, and the family they're diehard golfers, and they have great visions. Um, and they want to uphold an 18-hole championship facility. And just the evolution of the club quite honestly, over the last 20-some-odd uh, years has been quite remarkable um, with renovations and, and different things of that nature. Yeah. So is, is golf course management something, you know, even at a younger age you knew this is what you wanted to do or did you just kind of stumble into it? You know, that's a great question. Um, I dabble in a few things as a kid. And uh, ironically, at a very young age, my, my father told me, he said, Robbie, if I can offer you anything, he says, uh, you know, whatever it is you do in life, make sure you do what you love. And uh, so I pondered that thought for a while in college and everything else. And then uh, I decided, you know what, my passion is, is in golf. Mm -hmm. And uh, to be quite honest, I actually moved to Central Florida to become a teaching professional. And that lasted all about two days. And then uh, I just fell in love. <laughs> with the with the golf course maintenance industry always had an extreme passion for the game and really wanted to understand you know what we were playing on um, yeah you know and, and just kind of took it from there 
So I take it you were uh, – yeah, I was going to say, you, you swing the clubs quite often then? Uh, I try to. Um, you know, it's it peaks and valleys throughout the year. Um, but I, I make it a point to get them in the fingers as often as possible. Yeah. So is that part of uh, how your interest stemmed? Is like if I if I know and understand the course better, I can I can be a better golfer. Was that part of the dynamic? That was part of it, uh, without a doubt. But just you know, we all face that time in life where we have to pick a profession, and uh, whatever whatever that profession is, you better learn it inside and out, or as much as possible. And uh, you know, I, I I just have a passion for the outdoors and. Uh, you know, the turf grass plant and what makes it function and, you know, how can we get it better? Um, you know, and we'll get into this here shortly, but just again, how much the business and the game have evolved in the last 25 years. Um, it's changed what we do dramatically. Right. And so you were an assistant super for one year and then had to step up into being the, the, the head superintendent. When you became the head superintendent, because one year to me doesn't seem like a lot of time to kind of learn the ropes. And I know with supers, you know, it's more than taking care of the grass. It's budgets and payroll and time. So did you find yourself kind of like uh, in a rush to, to learn all the other dynamics of being a golf course superintendent? Well, uh, without a doubt, um, you know, and I was fortunate. I, I was surrounded by some really good people. Um, and also not to take any credit for myself, like I mentioned earlier, when I have a passion to learn something, I'm going to dive in head first and I'm mm -hmm. not going to stop. Um, and on top of that, I've got some really good guys on our team uh, that understand what we're trying to accomplish here. Uh, patience from the owners and membership, but uh, just a conglomeration of things that, that really just kept us going in the direction we we're trying to go. Yeah. And uh, knock on wood, doing okay. <laughs> that's that's fantastic so uh i'm always interested to hear about golf courses and what the past four or five months have looked like for you uh given the whole global pandemic so i know things have probably changed quite a bit but can you give me like a short summary of of how things were back in march and how they've uh, progressed since then uh, as far as your course and, and the way members can can be a part of the course now Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I had an interview not too long ago about this same topic. And quite honestly, as far as the golf course maintenance end here at Orange Tree, hadn't changed a whole lot. Um, there was a brief time where there was a lot of uncertainty. I mean, there still is uncertainty, but uh, more uncertain back then where we had to reduce payroll across the board 30%. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, uh, as I explained to the ownership that uh, the grass doesn't know COVID. Um, yeah. Our industry never stops. It never changes. So, you know, again, the supportive ownership we have, um, we were, we hit the ground running in the spring and really haven't looked back. Um, you know, it actually enabled us to do some things a little bit sooner this year than we may have normally would have been able to due to tournament schedules and things of that nature, which were canceled. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, as far as member plays goes, uh, member play goes, we were busier than ever. Yeah. Our snowbirds didn't want to travel, so they stuck around. Um, you know, we took a hit in regards to outside events and certain tournaments. Uh, obviously, food and beverage has slowed down considerably. But mm -hmm. as far as rounds of golf and the workload on a maintenance crew, it's been status quo. Yeah, yeah. 
that's kind of what I've, I've come to notice is, you know, golf has been uh, what a lot of people have turned to during these times, just because it is kind of suited for uh, the pandemic and being outside and, and you know, small groups and, and things like that. So absolutely. And there's certain yeah. modifications we had to make on the golf course, i.e., you know, pool noodles in the cups so the ball yeah. doesn't go on the hole, no bunker rakes on the golf course, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. No, and that's, I mean, for everybody just kind of be able to adapt and, uh, you know, give the members what they need. Are the members, uh, is your course, your course primarily played by members or, I mean, I think I saw Orange Trees like a, you know, a wedding venue. So do you get more guests than members or do you have to be a member to, to play the course? You do have to be a member. Um, obviously you can play as a guest. We do host outside events, um, you know, private parties, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. In fact, we renovated our entire clubhouse. So we're really hoping to be able to go after that market but uh, we are strictly a golf club yeah so it sounds like you've been able to do uh you know when life hands you lemons you know you you, you were able to uh, update some things or do a couple few projects that you normally wouldn't be able to this time of year sure absolutely i was um, actually gonna ask a question um along those lines uh, alex if you don't mind quick yeah. um so rob over the course of the 26 years you've been there i mean what have you done um, as far as bigger projects go, as it relates to the golf course, uh, you mentioned the clubhouse. I mean, what about like rebuilding greens or regrassing? Uh, I'm sure at some point you did that. Um, what, what were some of the bigger uh, projects you've done over the course of your time there at Orange Tree? Okay, that's a great question, Gordon. Uh, when I first arrived here back in 96, uh, shortly after that, we underwent basically a complete greens renovation, uh, disrupted 50 yards and in. So greens complexes, greens, bunkers, everything tied into that area. And then uh, we had classic dwarf on our greens back then, um, subpar grass to today's standards. So in the summer of 2013, we did an in-house no-till uh, renovation and put down champion Bermuda grass. Then the following year, we went into tee boxes. Uh, and then the following year, greenside bunkers as far as new sand, a lot of cart path work, uh, an exorbitant amount of tree work, which never ends. Uh, we're a smaller piece of property uh, with oak trees everywhere. So we're constantly battling that. And, uh, you know, when I first started here, we had three sets of tee boxes and now we've evolved to six sets of tee boxes uh that's to accommodate all skill levels of of any so um a significant amount of changes to the golf course uh we are somewhat landlocked we're on 94 acres we're in a, a community so we use every square inch of this property we've got a lot of tee boxes and greens complexes for that matter that sit back in these little shaded areas, nuanced areas of the property. So that's always a challenge. But, um, you know, I, I think we're, we're finally at a place where um, a bulk of the renovations, with the exception of irrigation and all those things that people don't even realize that are there. But cosmetically, I think uh, the ownership has the golf course where they want it up to this point. Here we are 26 years later. Yeah, that's great. I know that that no-till uh establishment of champion was very popular is that still the most popular way to establish champion now with the no you know i hear i still hear of guys doing it um you know i guess a lot of that gordon depends on on how old your original greens were and what your subsurface looks like uh to determine whether or not you're going to do the no-till 
Um, we've found that we've had no issues whatsoever. Um, we've come to understand that Champion loves organics, which helps when you have that existing mat there. Um, but knock on wood, um, the Champions performed exceptionally well for us. That's great. Well, first, I just was curious. So with regards to your cultural practices, then your aeration schedule, in order to promote drainage um, and maybe, you know, dilute some of that top dressing, can you just touch on uh, what your, um, you know, your aeration and top dressing program looks like there? Absolutely. Um, we do three aerifications a year, uh, one in the spring, which is typically right after Memorial Day. And we'll use five eighths tines, uh, two and a half inch by two inch spacing. And then uh, I'm a big proponent on burying greens with sand. Um, you can never get enough sand, especially down here in central Florida. Uh, I mean, it, the rains down here are just unreal. Um, and then in the, in the midsummer, July, typically, we'll just go out with quarter or half inch tines. Um, more to vent than anything else, displace a little bit of organic material still allows to get some sand down. And then in the fall, which is getting ready to come up the day after Labor Day, um, we'll be doing another five-eighths uh, aerification. As far as your, so that, that soil then with those organics probably has a pretty high exchange capacity. I mean, you probably have quite a bit of nutrient in the soil there. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so then what's your just philosophy when it comes to um, you know, nutrient management and your fer fertilizer uh, applications? Great question, Gordon. And, and you just hit the nail on the head. Um, we definitely live and die more by foliars. Uh, there's a number of reasons for that. One, which you just mentioned, we, we know there's nutrients down in that soil. It's a good old rich soil. Um, with that being said, we will incorporate some granular fertilizer, but not a whole lot. You're looking at two pounds a year, if that. Um, We'll always do it on the bookend aerifications, the spring and fall. But we found, especially with this champion grass, I cannot speak for the Tiff Eagle guys, but with this champion grass, you just have more control with foliars. Um, you know, again, the game has evolved so much in the 20 some odd years that I've been doing this. I mean, when I first got involved, if your greens were rolling a nine, you're doing well. Uh, this was back in a day when NPK, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium. Throw that out there, grow your grass, scalp them down when you're prepping for a tournament. Nowadays, things are so much different. It's all about leaner and meaner. Um, you know, quite often, and I'm sure it'll happen this week because at the BMW yesterday, those greens were rolling like pool tables. But members will ask me, you know, Rob, why aren't our greens like that day in and day out? Well, and trying to get these people to understand that, n number one, these tournaments are prepping months in advance, but they're, they're starving the plant. They're cheating the plant to prepare for this event everything that it needs. So in order to do that, obviously you can't accomplish what they had this weekend on a daily basis. Otherwise, we'll all be looking for work shortly after. But with that being said, as turf managers, we're constantly tweaking and trying to find ways to get as close to that as possible on a regular basis. And, and I think that's what, uh, that's what really excites me about the Brandt program. Um, I made a commitment to get onto the Brandt program back when we, we installed the new champion grass. Prior to that, I'd be on different programs, but not necessarily 
you know, the full kit and caboodle. And that's simply because it, it wasn't economically feasible. Um, you know, some of these programs to, to follow soup to nuts is just astronomical. So I was approached by Chris Carton and, and we sat down and we discussed, uh, you know, the Brandt Summer Success Program. And so I made a commitment that we were going to get on board and we were going to, we were going to stick to it for a year and we're going to see how it went for a year. And uh, obviously here we are uh, committed to the same program. And so Chris Carton is our, uh, is our sales rep down, our sales rep down in, uh, in Rob's area. Um, so he was, he came to you and, and said he kind of had a program that might help, uh, you know, kind of find a, a middle ground between uh, sustainability of the grass and, and the playability. Absolutely. I mean, Chris, Chris was a very reputable superintendent for many years in the area. So I've known Chris for quite some time. So I asked him to come down and take a look and talk about some products and these programs. And uh, I just, I, I liked everything about it. Um, mm -hmm. it. It gives us more control, you know, and, and again, back to, you know, as far as tournament speeds on a daily basis. And I mentioned the whole NPK thing. Now we're geared towards less nitrogen, more micronutrients, taking care of that soil a little bit better, keeping those beneficial bugs happy and, and avoiding these surges of growth, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and also having durable turf that can withstand, withstand some of these stresses that we know we're going to put, put on them. Yeah. I'm looking at uh, Orange Tree's website right now. And on the homepage, the very first thing you see is that it says uh, some of the best greens in the state of Florida. That's a quote from Mark Russell, who's the vice president of rules and competitions. So sounds like uh, he agrees with you. on, on Well, you never get words leave my lips, but uh, yeah. You know, if someone else wants to say it, go for it. But uh, uh, Mark has been uh, a phenomenal help to not only the club, but to me personally. Um, you know, and this guy, he's on, you know, these golf courses. They're the best in the world, and they're peaking when he's there. Yeah. So if you come around and throw accolades like that at us at his home course, absolutely, it's very kind. Um, and he's always supported us. So, uh, Rob, quick question: Are you um, are you doing any kind of um, uh, me measurements on the golf course, specifically the putting green, to quantify playability? Uh, perhaps looking at you know firmness with uh, soil volumetric water or um, some other uh, piece of equipment. Do you do any of that kind of stuff to kind of get a gauge on you know what your inputs are are doing from a playability standpoint on the putting greens? Sure. I mean, we'll do uh, tissue samples, obviously. And then obviously we look at clipping yields, um, you know, just the width of the blade, um, turf vigor, things of that nature. And then, uh, you know, myself and, and my two assistants, we're avid golfers. So we'll go out there and we're, we're taking putters and balls. I stay away from the stint meter. I think that's the worst tool that ever happened to superintendent. Um, you know, but uh, visually, obviously, all the way down to what it feels like underfoot, you know, and uh, yeah, it's, like, it's part art, part science, right? Absolutely. You know, I yeah. mean, just because it's green, it, it doesn't mean it's putting well, um, right. Right. you know, so there's, you know, and again, obviously, our other cultural practices, uh, regular verdict cutting, as you mentioned, your, your life frequent top dressing, but uh from a fertility standpoint, it, it just keeps us, you know, at even keel. Like I mentioned earlier, there's no peaks and valleys, which is what we found with a lot of other programs. 
Yeah, no, there's, there's no question um, that that's one of the key benefits is, you know, maintaining that control over shoot growth, which, you know, yeah, you don't want unwanted um, growth. And at the same time, you have visually like that color and quality that, um, that the membership wants. So I guess the question is like, what, what are the expectations there? I mean, what, I'm sure that they're very high, you know, so you've uh, got extremely to- Extremely high, uh, extremely yeah. high. We've gotten, I swear we have more LPGA gals out here, quite a few web.comers. And to be honest, our membership is so strong. We've got such good players out here. Um, and I think we spoiled them a little bit, you know, because we, as Mark would say, again, you'll never hear me say, it, but consistently day to day, I think we put out a pretty good product and uh, you know, and, and they've grown accustomed to these. So if all of a sudden, you know, the greens aren't rolling at 10 and a half in the middle of the summer, you know, what's going on? <laughs> so we kind of, we're our own worst enemies at times, but um, uh, extremely high demands as far as putting surface quality, again, more so than 20 some odd years ago. Do you, uh, do you have a, do you got a pretty good relationship with the members, members or, you know, a group of, of members that you can talk to and, and kind of gather feedback from? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm on a first name basis with probably 80% of the members here. Yeah. And I've always been one to make myself available. You know, I, 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 you know, for example, every Friday we have a game that goes out and there's anywhere from 40 to 65 players. I'll make sure I'm on that practice green and available. So this way, if anybody has qu any questions, I'm not hiding. Uh, fortunately, nobody's had any lately. Uh, we've had a pretty good summer. So uh, not yeah. going to but yeah, uh, sure. yeah, and back to that um, playability piece, not only are the expectations high for like the high, you know, high quality player, the low handicap player, but I mean, with all those tee tops, I mean, you've got basically golfers from a wide range of skill levels there too. So you've got to, you know, manage that also. Absolutely. Um, as many members that want the greens rolling in 11 every day, there are those members that'll say 11's too quick. So there's always finding that balance um, and knowing the time of year and, and what's going on that week. Obviously, Ladies' Day, I don't know that we want to go out and double cut and roll and have these things screaming in the dead of winter. Um, so obviously, you have to play your cards that way as well. Right. What's the closest tee box? Like, who's that for? Uh, the orange. Uh, we have orange tees that we actually set out in the middle of the fairways or beginning mm -hmm. of fairways. And that was full from many years ago, I was approached by some of our senior ladies and they said, hey, Rob, listen, this golf course is just too long for us. Is there anything that you can do? So we decided to put a set of tee boxes out there. Now, lo and behold, we've got senior men playing those tees. Yeah. It, it probably kept 20 to 25 members that otherwise may have resigned just because it was yeah. too much for them. Would it be frowned upon for a 28-year-old man like me to, to tee up from the orange because i'm just so I bad at golf buddy <laughs> <laughs> cool so uh so we talked about the summer success and i mean that is a programmatic approach like you mentioned i mean it's it's super competitive from a pricing standpoint and you get great results um chris had mentioned that you're also using the um the agrisol products do you touch on you know how you use those um you know and what what sort of um uh approach you use uh, for, for those specific products and then what kind of results you see? Sure. You know, we, we primarily started using these products uh, quite re recently, to be honest. Um, and 
again, talked to Chris and felt like we weren't doing enough on the tee boxes and fairways. Um, so, you know, Chris and I talked about the fairway program and we started using the Agrisol and the MKS on, on tees and fairways. And really one of the biggest things I noticed is, is, is the color. Um, you know, the tee boxes down here in, in Florida, sandy soils, uh, nematodes, the whole nine. And, but once we started these programs, they just held their color. Uh, quite honestly, the grass looked happier. Uh, wasn't so chlorotic. Uh, again, peaks and valleys, they're, they're, they maintain much better than they did in the past. Okay, that's interesting. So, so it's for fairways and T-tops. Yeah. How about the, um, the MKS? Is that supplement to the Agrisol, or do you combine them? Oh, What's the approach? Combine, but I'm assuming also fairways and T's. On the T's, we combine the Agrisol with the MKS and do it in one application. Now, I can tell you with the MKS, we did start implementing that in the Greens program as well. Okay. Uh, and that's been a home run for us. Again, I mean, it's not always conducive to go out with uh, Sulfamag. Um, for a number of reasons. Yeah. For one, the tip burn. For two, now you've got to get somebody to go out and put a spreader up mm -hmm. you know, in the middle of play. Obviously, you don't want anybody walking on it. Um, the MKS has made it easier, more simple, but yet the results are the same. They're there. Mm -hmm. um, back to the, I'm sorry, I'm just going to go back to the summer success program. I want to first add two parts to this question. One is what's your mowing height on putting greens? And then number two is um, when do you spray? It's first thing in the morning, and then how does that um, logistically? How, how does that uh, dovetail with the mowing? Well, we're, as far as our mowing heights go, obviously it'll change depending upon the, uh, depending upon the time of year that we're in. Uh, for example, right now we're at one ten. Mm -hmm. um, as we get into season and we get those cooler nights coming in here, we'll go all the way down to ninety um, mm -hmm. for member guests and, and certain events. Um, winter time typically we'll live right at a hundred, uh, maybe 95 with, uh, you know, rolling the greens also, you know, four or five days a week. We typically spray, uh, shortly after the mowing on Thursday mornings. Uh, reason being is Thursday morning is one of our quieter mornings. Uh, we don't have a twosome standing on the tee box at 7.05. Um, so that, that's typically the easiest morning for us to get something out if we find that we our schedules packed and we're closed on monday then we may do it monday but thursdays are our foliar day okay so it's a seven day application window and perhaps you could stretch it to 10 uh yeah we could and we have uh again from tournament time how are they looking how much grass is going in the buckets um, so all those little tools that we talked about earlier to, to help us make decisions pressing forward. Yeah, no question. I think the, the clipping volume is a really good way to kind of obviously measure um, growth and all that kind of stuff. So sure. are, are you using a plant growth regulator with your foliar applications? We do. We use Primo Max. Uh, again, rates will depend upon season. But, you know, right now, for example, we're six, six ounces an acre and that's weekly. I just, I guess, wanted to also find out what, um, did you do any big projects this summer with, uh, I, you had said that a lot of the snowbirds actually stayed um, in uh, Orlando, the Orlando area throughout the summer, but um, did you get any bigger projects completed this summer? And then when, when, do, um, when does the play start to really ramp up in the fall and heading into winter? 
Well, that's a great question, Gordon. Uh, first part of that is our big project this summer was targeting weed grasses. Um, reason being, we wall-to-wall -wall oversee the golf course every year with perennial ryegrass. And most of our projects over the last quite a few years have been in-house projects. So again, when COVID came around and things started scaling back and outside events as well as in-club events were canceled, we committed ourselves to targeting weed grasses all summer long. Um, notoriously weedy property uh, from many years ago. So that enabled us to, to hit the ground running there and, and we've gotten some tremendous results. So in that regard, it was a blessing. Yeah, so it sounds to me like, you know, as far as the, the, the foliar program on greens, as well as, you know, the nutrient inputs on fairways and tees, the, um, and even the MKS on greens, that, um, that that champion really responds to, you know, the micronutrients and perhaps magnesium and you get that really nice color. Um, it sounds like that's sort of that plus the control you get um, uh, as far as shoot growth goes, um, vigor, um, even recuperative capacity. I did want you to touch on recuperative capacity, uh, like, for example, after your aeration or some other uh, mechanical cultivation. Do you then come in with a foliar behind that to kind of speed recovery a bit? And have you seen good results there? Absolutely. Um, in fact, this last spring, obviously, Mother Nature you know, does her part as well. But this last spring, uh, our membership was dumbfounded on how quickly the greens recovered. Um, nice. You know, partially we did throw a little bit of granular out there, although be it we got nine inches of rain within the next four days of that. So I don't know how much of that stuck around. But yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. We're right on top of them, uh, getting product to that those leaf tips. Mm -hmm. And they recovered. These people were blown away in five days. As was I, to be quite honest with you, because I think that was record time for us. So we're yeah. eager to see if we get the same results here coming up next week. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's no question you're going to need uh, some nitrogen to kind of push things uh, from a recovery standpoint. But um, what about your irrigation water? How's the, how's the quality of it? It's, you know, it's hit or miss. We are on affluent water and, and we're direct feed from the county. So we don't have a holding pond or anything like that to let any bike cars or anything like that settle. We're direct feed to our irrigation system. So we're pumping the calcium out here. Um, you know, but again, in central Florida, you get so much rain to flush some of that bad stuff through so frequently. Um, right. That somewhat keeps it in check. Uh, the only downside of that is taking your nutrition with it. But, uh, and again, that's, that's primarily why we live by the foliar program. Yeah. Yeah. Some, I would say you're right. Like, uh, potassium, for example, you could get some, some leaching, um, through the root zone with that. But are, do you, are you, are you fertigating then with the agrisol or, or does that go through a spray rig? Nope. That goes through the spray rig. Okay. All right. I had a couple of uh, kind of rapid fire questions. Um, just kind of getting to know a little bit more about being a super and, and what all it takes, uh, if that's okay. Absolutely. All right. So one that I have written down here is, is what's, what's the best kind of compliment you can get as a super? Is it something from uh, the ownership team telling you you've done good on this or a member telling you the course looks good or a pro telling you it plays good? What kind of sticks out is like uh, when, when you hear a compliment from somebody that like, all right, that's, that's good. Well, first and foremost, it'd have to be the owner, right? Because they're the ones <laughs> <that they're paid. laughs> right. But you know, the membership, the general membership. Um, and 
let's face it, you know, I, I, whether you're here at Orange Tree or any other private club, chances are you're going to have several handfuls of members that are superintendents. And mm-hmm. so you have to identify who the people are that, that have taken an interest to understand what we do out there. And when, when you can understand and identify who those people are, and those are the people that are telling you, hey, Rob, these greens are great, or the golf course is the best chef I've ever seen it. Mm-hmm. Those, those are the ones that hit home. Those are the ones that keep you moving forward, you know, and, and striving to make it even better. That's awesome. Um, what time do you get up to go to work every morning? 4.45. That's absolutely absurd. Uh, <laughs> so you've been, you've been doing that for 20-some years? For a long time. Yeah, it's for a long time. It, your body adapts. Now, granted, I'm in bed at 8 o'clock at night. but uh, Yeah, that's still just absolutely insane to me. Um, what about uh, some advice for maybe somebody who's younger looking in to get into turf grass management? I mean, is there any kind of well-rounded advice you can give for somebody that's looking to get into the game? Uh, run the other way. No, <laughs> I say that facetiously. No, I mean, for one, it's not a 40-hour week. Um, it's not a nine to five, but if you, if you have a passion for this game and a passion for the industry, because I've had plenty of guys that want to get involved in the industry only to find out they just wanted to play. Mm -hmm. So you, you have to love it. You have to breathe it. You have to bleed it. Um, and then you, you have to learn, you know, you, you, you can learn so much out of a textbook but we're all dealing with micro environments. I mean, and that's not just from golf course to golf course. That could be from green to green on the same property. Yeah. So get to know your property, get to know your irrigation and develop your, your plans and your practices. Um, and you, and even then you have to be willing to adapt. Yeah. No, that makes, that makes total sense. Um, what's your, what's your yard look like at your house? Best on the block? Uh, uh, the backyard, uh, with all the ornamentals, we call it Eden okay. uh, because the landscape is quite nice. The turf uh, is another story. I'm actually getting in the process of regrassing. I'm going to go from St. Augustine to Zoysia. Gotcha. I just always assume that anybody who takes care of a golf course for a living, they're just, you their know, neighbors hate them and they just got the best shine on the block. And yeah. Yeah. You know, at first uh, you're spot on, but as years progressed and I realized, <laughs> That not, number one, St. Augustine's a nightmare. And number two, I just did this for 12 hours today. I'm going inside. <laughs> I'm okay with it. <laughs> and that makes sense. Do you get, to, do you get like friends and family bothering you about like how to, how to improve the way their, their house grass, the grass of their house looks? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll avoid those questions then because it sounds like you get bothered with it enough. But yeah, I need some help with my yard. Um, yeah, man, that's, this has been a whole lot of fun. Uh, it was super awesome to hear from you and, and how you're maintaining your course and to hear from somebody who's, who's living and breathing turf grass management every day. So we, we thank you so much for joining us and being part of this and, and we'll check back in with you hopefully in a couple months. And if you'd love to come back on, we'd love to have you. Oh, absolutely. I'm glad to be a part of it. I hope it was helpful and I, and I enjoyed talking to you fine gentlemen. Awesome. Thanks, Thank Rob. It's a pleasure talking with you and meeting you, and good luck the rest of the year. Likewise. Thank you, guys. All right, that's our show. I hope you enjoyed listening to Rob as much as I did. Super awesome guy, and he clearly knows what he's doing as a superintendent. So if you're ever down in Orlando, Florida, make sure you stop by and play his course there at Orange Street Golf Club. 
We're going to try and get some more guests like that in the future, some superintendents, hopefully some farmers as well. So make sure you hit that like and subscribe button so you can be the first to know when we drop those new episodes. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.